Welcome to Caffeine, Crime and Canines, a podcast brought to you by two girls who love their dogs, love coffee, but most importantly, love true crime. Hello. Hi, how are you going? Good. Is my voice croaky? I feel like it's like a little croaky. (laughs) I don't know what's going on. You had a big one last night? <laughs> no, no, I did not. I was like, <laughs> it's like I wanted to do all this stuff, like, you know, like you know how I used to play Sims a lot. So I was like, I wanted to stay up late and play Sims, but I just was so <laughs> tired. I was in bed at like half past nine. Oh, my gosh. That's so funny. <laughs> what did you get up to? I didn't do much either, actually. I've just been playing some poker. I think I told you I'm just loving poker at the moment. I'm watching poker. I'm playing poker. I'm just, yeah, all about the poker. Love so that. random. Yeah. Um, I feel like we've got no news because we caught up on Friday. But, um, yeah. I've got something for you, which oh, I forgot yeah. to tell you. Mm. So this is actually really funny. Every morning around my neighborhood, this lady walks her cat in a pram. I'm not even kidding. (laughs) And the thing is, you know, sometimes I'm like, the first time I saw it, I'm like, did my imagination make this up? Because it's one, it actually looks quite creepy. You know, those white cats, I don't know that you look like, like, I feel like they'd be used in like a spell. Do you want to find out? (laughs) They're like a bit fluffy. No. Oh, not, I feel not. like they're, they're more skin. Like they're all skin. They don't have much. Oh, fluff. oh, no hair. Like the the sphinx cats, whatever they're called. Yeah, the, the, and they've got. Do they have pointy ears? Yeah. yeah. My goodness, she walks this white cat around in a black pram, and she wears all black. And every morning I see her, and it's now it's starting to creep me out. Like it's just creepy. It's a creepy scene. It reminds me of a start of a horror movie. <laughs> well, you think That's she's a witch. Weird. I don't know. Oh, you know what? When I first saw her, I'm like, hey, that's so cool. That lady's got, like, a cat in a pram. Because remember I told you I've always wanted to get a pram for Vic. Vic. And all my friends are like, we will disown you. Like, Danny in particular is like, I cannot be seen in public. You were, you. I remember you were looking at, like, you know how you have baby carriers that you strap to yourself? You were looking at those. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> I was. <laughs> oh. I feel like the pram's good, especially like if I want to sneak Vic into work because our building's quite strict with animals in there. So if I've got him in a pram, who the heck's going to stop me? <laughs> oh my anyway, God. yeah. So when I first saw this lady, I was like, oh, cool. She's doing it for a cat. Like I can do it for a, for a dog. But now because I'm seeing her every day and I feel like, I don't know, I just feel like it's the scene from a movie. And not only that, the last time I saw her, it was very grey outside. And she was still outside. I was like about to thunder. And I was like, oh my goodness. This is, I don't know. Something about it gave me the creeps. That's so funny. But yeah, that's my, my news <laughs> that's this week. <laughs> I have no news. No news. No, no news. Um, well, our catch up was pretty fun on yeah. Friday. I hope really? everyone enjoyed the Q&A. Yeah, we've got some bloopers. I just actually sent you the bloopers video before. Oh, did you? Because <laughs> Olive was so erratic on Friday. That's exactly how I describe it. She was crazy. <laughs> well, because uh, we actually played that. Lockie told me about, the, what is it, that 20 words? Yeah, 20 words or less. And can I, I screwed that up big time because now I watch other people play and I was like, I don't think I got it when we were playing. <laughs> <laughs> but 
now I get it. So next time we catch up, we have to do another one. And yeah. you know what it is? It's so hard to think of words on the spot. And then I'm seeing all these other people do like chew, nose. I'm like, oh, like there's so many words. I don't know why I couldn't think of any words anyway. Yeah. Yeah. We'll put them up though. Yep. Yep. Um, I don't think there's any other news, crime news really. Not Not apart I from, I don't of. know if you saw, I did put it up uh, this week, last week, the mm-hmm. freaking Scott Peterson summer, um Innocence Project have taken his case. Yeah, that's weird. I I'm thought you'd be really happy because, you know, me well, and you disagree on this. Yeah, because I let, let's recap my memory. You were his guilty, I was his innocent. Yeah. I, I, I was his innocent but really stupid. Yeah. Mm. Interesting. So that will be int- I, I honestly think it's, yeah, there's nothing swaying me from that, unless there's actual evidence. I don't know. But I don't then know what the evidence is. The Innocence would be. Project is this, as if they would take it on without looking into it. I don't know if it's the actual Innocence Project. I actually got to look into it. But from my understanding, they're looking into, remember, there was a burglary across the street? Yes. I think that's what they're looking into, like whether that was actually investigated or there's evidence to show that that wasn't properly investigated. So I guess maybe that's the angle they're coming at. Yeah, that still still doesn't make sense though. Mm. Mm, anyway, who knows? So yes, but yeah, that's it with me. Maybe we should get started. Yes, because it's going to be a big case, case today. So it let's, is. Let's go for it. Blinding us, taser goes off. And I see they're wearing wetsuits. What, what did they swim in? So, what happens next? That has to need to tie my hands coming back. Did she like discover something? Some text messages. Is she mad? Oh, she's you cheating? There's blood in your house. Do you know where she is? Do anything. Yeah, you did. Oh my God, it's her. I just got a message. She's walking over to my house. I've never heard of a case where the kidnappers drop their victim at the front door of their house. We thought she's this innocent victim. She looks more like a suspect. Police now wondering is Huskins a real life God girl? Something else has happened here. Maybe this is about revenge. We find zip ties, toy guns, and a blow-up doll. Can this get any stranger? Who's really behind all of this? They get an email confessing to the crime. Did we all get this wrong? Okay. 
Okay, so today we are talking about the case of Denise Huskins. And if you listened to our episode last week, you'll remember we talked about the documentary that's just popped up on Netflix, American Nightmare, which details this case. And when I watched that documentary, like it really shook me to my core and I couldn't let it go. So that's why we've decided to cover it so soon. And it's like such a wild case. Did you, I can't remember, Karina, had you watched it last week? Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. So I knew about the case because of Real Crime Profile and then I watched it all in one sit, like in one hit. Yes, that's right. That's right. Yeah. Um, yeah, so that's a really good doco. Um, we'll do some recommendations at the end. But um, Denise Huskins was born in 1987 in California and she graduated from California State University in May of 2009. She graduated with a Bachelor of Science degree in, I'm going to try and say this, kinesiology and exercise science. Lockie, um, you know something so crazy? I've been looking to see a kinesiologist. What are they? I didn't know she was one. I don't even know what it is. My hairdresser swears <laughs> by her kinesiologist. And you know how I've got all these problems with like, like I'm on a FODMAP diet, which means like I can't eat specific foods because my stomach can't digest them. She's like, maybe she can help you. It's like a natural way of like, I think it's like natural healing, natural health. And from my understanding, she like puts different things on your skin. It must be like a naturopath. And she can like, I don't know if touch certain areas that do you know what I mean you might be allergic so for instance with my hairdresser she didn't know that she was allergic to dairy she's it wasn't like a it didn't come up on the allergy test but she was getting I think a bad asthma I think it was from dairy and this kinesiologist found it or something along those lines how random yeah and she hasn't so had that weird. problem again yeah so anyway so, yeah, Denise Huskins was a kinesiologist, but then a few years later she actually got her doctorate in physical therapy, which I think physical therapy in Australia is like occupational therapy. Like that's – it's just called physical therapy in America. But anyway, she was a doctor. So um, she moved to Vallejo, California to do like her residency in physical therapy and she was in like this pretty prestigious – physical therapy program and that's why she moved to Vallejo and this is where she met Aaron Quinn. Aaron was also a physical therapist like they worked together that's how they met. Now Aaron had recently broken off his engagement with a girl called Andrea and Andrea also worked with Denise and Aaron so it was like a bit of a triangle going on right they all worked together. Yeah. So the reason that their engagement ended was that Andrea was actually having an affair and Aaron obviously found out and broke off the engagement. So he was pretty like torn up about it, right? So Denise and Aaron started dating um, and they obviously all worked together, which would have been a bit awkward, but obviously it didn't matter too much. And then seven months into Denise and Aaron's relationship, Andrea was still a bit of a sore point in the relationship because Denise kind of suspected that, not that something was going on, but she was kind of feeling that Aaron wasn't completely over their relationship, her, him and Andrea, which you can understand, like, you know, she had an affair. So it's like he just had no choice but to break off the engagement. So you can kind of understand, like, those feelings may still be there. But And not only that, he's seeing her still every day. They're still working yeah. together. I can't even imagine this situation. Yeah. So Denise actually checked Aaron's phone and found text messages between Aaron and Andrea. And in these text messages, Aaron was saying things like, you know, he would – 
give it another shot and all this stuff, right? So Denise was pretty cut up about it. So at this point in time, they'd been together for seven months. This was going on. There was like a few weeks of back and forth between Denise and Aaron as to what they were going to do, how they were going to move forward, if if at all. Um, and Aaron like decided, you know, I've got to make a change. Like I want to be with Denise. Like this was obviously the wrong thing for me to do. Like he was really open to making it work with her. So on the night of March the 22nd in 2015, Denise decided she would go over to Aaron's house just to hear him out, have a conversation about, you know, their relationship moving forward and, you know, that they wanted to work out their issues. And, you know, she said like she brought over a pizza. They were talking for most of the night and during their conversations they decided, all right, let's fresh start, let's move on and, you know, like we want to be together. So Aaron's home was located on Mare Island, which was part of Vallejo, um, and it's just outside of San Francisco. And Mare Island was like an ex-army base or something, and they like built all these new homes on it. So it was like a new residential area, and it was like filled with families, and it was like you know a nice area. And he bought this home himself with the plan to you know one day raise his family there. And this house is. Gorgeous! How it, it literally looks like a little dollhouse. Mm-hmm. It's yellow. Like, it's just so pretty. It's such a pretty house. So after their conversations, Denise stayed at Aaron's that night, and the pair headed to bed at around midnight. So in the early hours of March the twenty third, around three a.m., Denise and Aaron woke up to masked intruders in their bedroom, and a voice that said, "Wake up! This is a robbery." Denise was made to tie up Aaron's hands and feet with zip ties and then the intruders tied up Denise and put them both in the master bedroom closet. These intruders then put blacked out swim goggles over their eyes and put headphones over their ears and these headphones were playing messages like of instructions to them. Like it's like a full-on operation, right? Yeah, it's not just like exactly tie you up and that's it. It's full being planned. Like it's obvious that it's planned out and they know what they are doing. Yeah. So the messages that were playing in the headphones were saying that um, both Denise and Aaron were going to be given a sedative and if they refused to drink this sedative, they would inject it intravenously. And the intruders also were calling Aaron by name. So it was pretty clear to Denise and Aaron from the start that this was a whole planned operation. The intruders then moved Denise to a spare bedroom in the house and they put on a new set of headphones, like played a new set of messages to her. And this message said that they were going to ask them personal and financial information. And if they suspected either of them were lying, they would deliver electric shocks or they would cut their partner's faces. Full on, right? Yeah. So Aaron was then made to give up his social security number, give up all the information to his bank accounts. I think they were, I think they made him get on the laptop and like log into all his bank accounts and all that stuff. He complied with this and he gave them everything that they wanted. At this point, the intruder or intruders says to Aaron, We have a problem. Do Denise and your ex fiance look alike? And 
you know, Aaron says, well, you know, they both have blonde hair. Like they do kind of look similar if you do look at pictures of them both. And I think like at this point you think, well, are they looking for Andrea? Are they looking for Aaron and Andrea? Like what's going on here? And didn't it say like Andrea's name? Because in those messages, those pre-recorded messages, I'm pretty sure, like you said, it said Aaron's name. I'm pretty sure it said Andrea's Andrea. name as well. Yeah, yeah. In the messages. So the intruders then come up with a new plan and they tell Denise that they're going to take her for 48 hours and Aaron will need to complete tasks in this time. So like Denise was like a bit of collateral because it obviously didn't work out the way that they had planned. So they move Aaron down to the lounge room. They tell him there's a camera set up and they will be watching his every move. And they also set up like perimeters on the floor and in the house with like red duct tape and they told him, like, you cannot leave these areas. So, like, he was like, – obviously they could see on the camera if he was going to leave those duct-taped areas. Mm. The intruders then ask Aaron if he's comfortable and he says he's cold and he asks for a blanket and the intruder responds, sorry, I didn't realise it was cold because we're wearing wetsuits. What That's just heck? a detail. Like it's just – I think it just proves yeah. it's just this – it's, it's full-on operation, right? Yes, yeah, yeah. Because wetsuits obviously don't leave any trace evidence. Mm -hmm. So they then tell Aaron that they're going to communicate with him over text message and email and, like, they give him details to a specific email address that they set up for this purpose. They give him, like, the login details and stuff. (laughs) So the instructions for Aaron were he had to stay in, in this house until the morning He had to call in sick for work. He was given Denise's phone and the passcode to her phone and he was told he needed to text Denise's boss, say that there was a family emergency and that she would be gone for a week. He was then told he needed to go to the bank to get the amount of money that they wanted and that they would give him further instructions in the morning and if he didn't comply with these instructions, they would kill Denise. So at around 5am, the intruders forcefully took Denise and they actually took Aaron's car. They put Denise in the trunk of the car and they took Aaron's car with them. So they ultimately stole his car. And Aaron says at around this time, like when they took Denise, the sedative that they'd given them, it started to kick in for him and he passed out around the same time that they took Denise. He had an alarm on his phone for work. So at around 7 a.m. he woke to this alarm. So he called in sick and he texted Denise's boss as he was told to do. But he quickly passes out again from the sedative and he wakes up at about 11.30 a.m. And the instructions from the intruders start coming into him via text and email. They said to him that the amount of money that they wanted was $8,500. And it doesn't sound like a lot of money, but it's because if he went to the bank and got more than $10,000, the bank legally have to like report it to the police or something. Like it's like a a thing. It automatically triggers, yeah. So they wanted to stay under that $10,000 amount um, so it didn't flag anything. I think at this stage as well, Aaron knows that he can only advance two and a half thousand. So he's probably thinking like, either way, I'm screwed here. Yeah, exactly. So he's trying to figure out what to do, right? He's like frantic, you know, trying to figure out how he's going to proceed. And what he does is he calls his brother who, his brother's actually an FBI agent, which is like super 
lucky, I suppose. And his brother says, you know, I know they've told you not to call the police, but you're going to have to call 911. Um, so he's obviously very nervous, but he dials 911 and he does this at about 1.53 p.m. So Denise had been gone for nine hours at this point. Two police officers then arrive at Aaron's home and they ask him if he's on drugs, to which he replies, yes, the kidnappers drugged me. And the officers then walk into the home and they rip the camera from the wall that is supposedly like the intruders are watching. And Aaron describes like being completely frantic, like thinking, oh, my God, like why did you do that? They're going to see that, you know, I've pulled off the wall or whatever. Like he was obviously really scared, right? right? Yeah. So the main things that the officers notice in Aaron's house is that the house smells really clean, that there's a small amount of blood on the sheets in the main bedroom, that the comforter, like the doona, is gone from the um, bed in the main bedroom. Aaron's car is missing. Aaron's in possession of Denise's phone. Um, and one thing that they kind of can't shake is that he waited such a sub- substantial amount of time before calling them for help. Mm. So Aaron's then taken down to the station to make a statement. He gives his DNA sample. They take his clothes. They say for testing and they give him clothes to wear. And he notices that they're like full prison clothes, like this black and white striped clothes, right? So he's like, what the hell? And in comes this detective. And his name is Detective Matt Mustard. Mm-hmm. And this guy is a freaking loser. <laughs> so that's what he's from. <laughs> Literally sounds like he's from Cluedo. So <laughs> this Detective Mustard starts to question Aaron and he immediately starts asking questions about their relationship and the nature of their relationship. And Detective Mustard's tone does begin to change when Aaron talks about how you know, they had had a rough few weeks with what was happening. There was a little bit of tension, but they decided to work it out. About 45 minutes into this questioning, Detective Mustard tells Aaron that he doesn't think he's being truthful and that he doesn't believe the story of what's happened. So, like, it didn't take long, like, 45 minutes in. He's already decided they don't believe him. The thing I don't get is how come they're not going to the house to try to corroborate some of the stuff he's saying? Exactly. You know what I mean? Like, I get it if it sounds unbelievable. I get mm. that, right? But at least look into the stuff he's saying. Because yeah. there is evidence at the house to corroborate what he's saying. Yes, exactly. It's ridiculous. It's actually ridiculous. So um, Aaron's brother, Ethan, obviously called his parents after he spoke to Aaron earlier in the day and told them what had happened. So Aaron's police uh, – uh, sorry, Aaron's parents meet him at the station And the police start to question Aaron's parents as well. They're kind of asking them questions about his personality and, you know, his history and all that stuff. And they're asking him about whether he is an aggressive person, like things like that, right? And Aaron's parents, you know, say he is not aggressive. Like he actually was such a great child. He achieved a lot. Like he, um, you know, like they were so proud of him. Like he was such a good kid. but. Aaron's parents kind of say it was pretty clear that they didn't want to know that. Like it was like Mm -hmm. at that point they'd already made their mind up that 
you know, Aaron had killed Denise or Aaron had done something with Denise and they didn't want to hear about how good of a kid he was. They wanted something to corroborate what they thought. Exactly. And, you know, like even in that interrogation with Aaron, I'm pretty sure like what that detective mustard, whatever, he's like telling Aaron, like, did you call Andrea's name during sex by accident? Like just all these wild claims. Like he's just fishing for something, you know? Yeah. Um, and he even this detective mustard even references the Lacey Peterson case, like as if as if like Aaron had gotten the idea, or um, you know this was a similar situation. Like he was, yeah, like you said, really fishing. So during the time at the station, like during Aaron's questioning, he took a polygraph test, and he cooperated with this test. Aaron actually says now, like looking back. He probably would have said no, but because he was so sleep deprived, he just cooperated because he just wanted it to be over. So he does the polygraph test. And after the test, the officer says that he failed miserably. Right. And he's really like, the officer is really aggressive with him, like trying to get him to confess. And can I tell you, you'd be actually shitting yourself because you know you haven't done anything. And. Denise's life is on the line. Mm-hmm. Look, I can tell why he'd be like getting frustrated with police, you know. And he, Aaron, actually says, you know, it was at that point that he was actually starting to question himself. Like, did he snap? Did he? Is there something he doesn't remember? And this is what happens. Like, they push them to, people to this point where they do falsely confess to things. Like, and yeah. Aaron says, I felt like I was almost at that point. My gosh. So he's very sleep deprived, but I think good on him for standing his ground. Like he he does keep saying, I don't know what's happened. I don't know where she is. Um, And it was at that point that he says, well, I think I need a lawyer, which was really the, the smart thing to do. They also bring in Aaron's brother, the FBI agent, thinking that he would maybe confess to his brother. Um, But when Aaron sees his brother, he just completely breaks down. He's still saying, I don't know what's ha- Like, I didn't do anything. I don't know where she is. And Aaron's brother, Ethan, says, you know, all right, we'll organize an attorney for you. And this is where Ethan, the brother, um, hires lawyer Daniel Russo or Dan Russo. At this point, it's 6.30 in the morning. Um, so you, you think like he was brought in, you know, in the afternoon and he's been there for like, you know, 18 hours or so. Luckily, Dan Russo had already gotten to work at 6.30 in the morning and he was in his office and, um, Ethan, Aaron's brother says, you know, my brother's being held by the police, like we need a lawyer. And he comes down to the station straight away, right? This lawyer says to the police, well, is he under arrest? And they say no. And this lawyer says, well, I'm taking him now. Like he doesn't need to be here. And Dan Russo takes Aaron back to his office. Dan Russo does admit, you know, when Aaron goes through what happened, it was like a very unbelievable story, but he was willing to help Aaron because he just was so distressed, right? So March the 24th, so this is this following day after Denise was taken, the San Francisco Chronicle, which is a local newspaper, received an email with an audio recording attached to it. And this was a recording of Denise's voice. And they call this a proof of life, right? 
Mm-hmm. So in this recording, she says, you know, I'm Denise Huskins. She actually details like a news event that happened that day, like just to prove that it's not made up and all that stuff. Like she references like a plane crash that happened. Um, and yeah, like Aaron thinks, great, like they'll believe me now, right? Yes. And for sure he would have been charged if it wasn't for this proof of life. Exactly. Like I have no doubt in my mind. Yes. So when that audio recording comes in, Aaron has to go back to the station, obviously. Um, and when they brought Aaron to the station initially, they actually took his phone, like for evidence. And because this proof of life has come in, that he gets his phone back, right? Aaron gets his phone back. He notices that the police had switched it to airplane mode. And, you know, like he was, he told the police that they were communicating with him via text message and the police still turned his phone on airplane mode, like the only line of communication. When Aaron turns it off airplane mode, he gets like heaps and heaps of messages from the, from the kidnappers, right? Like how freaked out would you be? You know, know, like the phone's been turned off. You'd think, what the hell? I just don't understand how still the police aren't taking this seriously. That's what I can't wrap my mind around. It actually scares me. It is so scary to me. So while all this is happening, Denise's parents are also being questioned by the police. And Denise's parents said that they were, while the police were questioning him, it was clear that the police were insinuating that this whole kidnapping was a hoax, like put together by Aaron and or Denise. So like, even though the proof of life come in, the police still can't fathom that it's real. So they just jump to the conclusion that it's all made up. But she's faked it. And I think one of the reasons they say anyway is because she sounds very calm. Like mm-hmm. I'll pop it up on our Instagram, but she's like, my name is Denise um, Huskins. And the way she just talks is just calm. But yeah. if she's been – if they actually listen to Aaron and he's told them like they've drugged us, mm, yeah. I don't know why. Like I feel like that's not so much of a jump that she's quite calm in this if she is – has been drugged. And some people just deal well in stressful situations, like, yes. you know. So um, the police ask Denise's parents if anything ha- bad has happened to her in her life. And her mum mentions that as a young girl, she was actually molested. And this fucking makes me want to open in my mouth. Detective Mustard then says to her mum that those who have been molested sometimes want to relive the experience and experience the thrill of it again. Absolutely. Absolute. Oh, I mm. can't tell you how angry this made me, Lockie. Yeah, yeah. Like, Horrible, this guy right? has no freaking right. No. Oh, I can't even imagine her parents. I can't even imagine what she's thinking. Like, it's, yeah, it's absolutely disgusting. Disgusting. So, two days after being taken, Denise turns up to her father's Huntington Beach apartment. This is like 400 miles, like hours drive away from where she was kidnapped. She was unharmed. She was calm. And she turned up just hours before the $8,500 ransom was due. Denise has said that in the car ride, uh, the, the kidnapper had put duct tape over her eyes and they dropped her off. They told her to count to 10 after the car drove away. So that's what she did. She gets dropped off. She counts to 10. When she like the car drives away, she peels the duct tape from her eyes and notices that she's on the corner of a cross street and 
one of these streets is the street where she actually grew up because she grew up in Huntington Beach in California, right? So she was she realizes she's in walking distance to the childhood home where she grew up, her mum's house. So she walks to her mum's house, notices that no one's home, but she does notice that someone is working on her mum's house. So she asks that person to borrow a phone and she uses this phone to call her dad. Her dad doesn't answer, unfortunately, but she does leave a voicemail saying she's okay, you know, she's in the Huntington Beach area, etc. So then Denise walks from her mum's house to her dad's apartment. Again, the dad wasn't home because they're obviously in Vallejo being questioned. But um, one of the neighbours notices Denise, asks her if she needs help um, and calls the police, etc. So officers respond in Huntington Beach, like they come to the dad's apartment. Denise relays the exact same story that Aaron had been telling the police for the last few days. She details everything from the moment she was taken, you know, like she's telling them everything. In the initial questioning, they ask her if she was sexually assaulted and she responds with no. And she says to the police, you know, all things considered, they treated me pretty nicely, right? Yeah. So at this point, Denise hasn't seen her parents. She hasn't seen Aaron. Like she's just been speaking to the police. Denise's cousin then comes in um, and fortunately, Denise's cousin was actually an attorney. Um, so like she obviously breaks down, like she's seen the first person that she recognizes. Um, and this, cause her cousin is an attorney. It's obviously a very helpful situation. Yeah. Detective Mustard arrives to Huntington beach and he tells the cousin that Denise will get immunity if she confesses to making all of this up. So it becomes clear to Denise at this point she needs a defense attorney and she does get one. This guy's name was Doug Rapport. Rap, rap, I don't know how to say his surname. Doug. I'm going to call him Doug. Yeah, Doug. So the police say to Denise she obviously needs to make her way back to Vallejo. They offer her one of the private FBI planes to get her back to Vallejo. But Doug says to her, do not get on that plane. Like, just get on a commercial flight, and when you get there, come straight to my office, right? Because he obviously Mm -hmm. doesn't trust what's going to happen during that plane ride if, you know, they offer the the plane. Yeah. So um, the decision by Denise to not get on the private plane um, doesn't sit well with the police, and they hold a press conference. And they say in this press conference that they've lost contact with Denise and her family, like, which is totally not true. Yeah. And this press conference, which you do see in the documentary, is, like, despicable. That's how I would say it, right? Yeah, yeah. They say there is no evidence of a kidnapping and they insinuate that Denise and Aaron had faked the whole thing. They say that Denise and Aaron have wasted valuable resources and that they'd sparked fear within the community and that both Aaron and Denise owed the community an apology. And they also say that they will not be referring to Denise and Aaron as victims. The nerve of this press conference is beyond me. 
Mm-hmm. Like, you know, and this- to actually, can, you, can I just tell you something though? This is just a, this isn't even like, it's not like they've fully investigated it and no. then they've come to this conclusion and then they're putting out this information. Okay. If that was the case, all right, it still sucks, but at least they investigated. They've done jack shit. They have not even done their work, like their jobs. And they're, and they're just, just getting, it's like a, a sore point because they didn't take the plane. They think, ugh. Yes. You know. And, and, and I think because she she did, like I think for them, it probably just seemed very far-fetched. Obviously, mm-hmm. like what what's the point of the abduction if there was no sexual assault? And I don't know if she, she obviously obtained a lawyer, so they're probably thinking, okay, this is 100% like, you know, she's been, she's in on it. Why else get a lawyer and not speak with us and things like that? Um, so I just, I don't understand. I don't understand, especially to jump from she's just come home or she's just mm. been released, I should say, to putting out this statement is, yeah, is beyond me. And the statement is broadcast while she's in the air. So she doesn't know it's happened. And when she does finally arrive at her attorney's office in Vallejo, Doug tells her, look, they've done a press conference. They've completely thrown you under the bus. Um, you know, like it's time to – it's go time, I suppose you could say. Like he's ready to to defend her. So – Denise's attorney, Doug, does believe her from the get-go and Denise at this point tells Doug that there is two things that she hasn't told police because the kidnapper told her not to mention them and she was obviously afraid. The first thing is that the kidnapper was in the Marines and the second thing that she hadn't told the police was that she was in fact sexually assaulted. So Denise details that while she was held, the kidnapper says because this whole thing was not intended for you, they don't have anything on her and that they needed to have sex with her so they had a bit of leverage, I suppose, and they were going to film the rape and if she told the police, they were going to put it all over the internet. So the kidnapper rapes her the first time, films it, um, and then I think it's the following day, but the kidnapper comes in and says, okay, well, it didn't look believable the first time. So we need to do it again. And you need to act like you're having sex with Aaron, like kissing and stuff. Right. Disgusting. Yeah, I know. And can I just say something as well? So at like the, where she's being held is like one main guy, but she remembers like, other people like I think she hears a car pull up and she can hear him talking with some people so that particular guy that is holding her is quite nice to her like Mm. he gives her regular bathroom breaks and stuff like that and when he first tells her like we're gonna need to get some dirt on you he's like I'm gonna be the one to do it and I'll be gentle like it's like mind games you know what I mean like she's probably thinking what the fuck but at least you, you know what I mean like it's not like I'm guessing he wants her to think this anyway that uh, it's going to be me and I'm nice whereas if you don't behave it's going to be do you know what I mean one like of the others some, exactly mm. so it's definitely do you know what I mean like he's definitely trying to coerce her into thinking that this would be a better option than someone else if that makes sense And during all of this, Denise actually tells the kidnapper about how she was molested as a child, hoping that they would have some kind of compassion and, like, not assault her, but it obviously didn't happen. 
So 48 hours after she was taken, she's told by the kidnapper that she actually will be released. And during the drive, they tell her that they admire her strength. Disgusting. Anyway. So meanwhile, Doug, the attorney, is trying to get a sexual assault exam organized for Denise because obviously she's told him she was assaulted. You know, there's vital evidence here. There could be DNA, like, etc. We need to get this done. But the Vallejo police are refusing to do this. And Doug says in the, I think in the 2020 interview, he says, they said to me the most vile thing I've ever heard, have her sleep in her clothes and not shower. And we'll talk about this in the morning. Disgusting. It, it makes me so sad, Lockie, that someone, she's a victim. Mm-hmm. And she's, she's literally, she honestly thought that they were going to kill her. She fought through that. Yeah. She's come out on the other side and then I think it's actually in one of the interviews. I don't know if it's a 2020 or the Netflix, but she actually says, in my mind, not once did I think I better get like enough evidence on me so they believe me. Yeah. You know, like maybe I should have fought back. She actually talks about like maybe I should have fought back and then there would have been evidence on me that this did happen. Cause, mm. But she did all the right things. Like in the end, she came out alive. Exactly. So she shouldn't be double thinking. I think, honestly, the way she played it was so smart. And she did exactly what she thought she had to do to survive. Exactly. So the following day, Denise goes back to Vallejo Police for questioning and she does bring Doug, the attorney, with her. She was questioned without any compassion and it was clear that she was not being believed. Um, Doug says that after the questioning ended, the – agent said to him i'm 99 percent sure she's lying you should watch the movie gone girl it will explain a lot <sighs> so they think that she has gotten inspiration from the gone girl book and movie and that's how she got the idea for this hoax but what does she get out of it exactly that's what i don't understand like what does she actually get out of it yeah well, is, it, is, it, is it the fact that, like, she, what, that, that Aaron wanted to, what, had been texting his ex and, like, she was trying to get back at him? Like, what are they thinking? Because I feel like it doesn't make sense. It actually doesn't make sense to me. Well, have you seen Gone Girl? Yeah. So, in Gone Girl, the wife finds out the husband is cheating and that's yeah. why she does it. So, I think what they're thinking yeah. is that Denise found out that there was something going on with Andrea and Aaron and she's done this to get back at him. Yeah, but in saying that, she got back at him for what, like a day? Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, I just feel like it's so – and she's she's a professional. Like they, they are both professionals. Yeah. You know what I, I don't know. It's just mm. – mm. so, I don't get it. No. So over the coming days, various local newspapers and the Vallejo police receive emails from the kidnappers. The kidnappers are detailing the whole – operation and they are asking for the police to apologize to Denise because she is not lying that this in fact was a real thing they it's almost like they want credit like we did this acknowledge that it's real yes type yeah. of thing. they even attach photos to the emails and stuff like for evidence um but I think the police just disregard all of this like it's just like they don't want to know about it type of thing I honestly think they just had tunnel vision and no matter what you say or show them, they'll 
they think that they're correct. Like they're not even open to looking at other things, if that no. makes sense. They're completely shut off to any other theories. They think they're right and that's the end of it. That's it, yeah. So a few months later in the same year, in June 2015, another home invasion is reported in Dublin, California, and this is about one hour south of Vallejo. This home invasion has very, very similar details to Denise and Aaron's home invasion, but this one ended a little bit differently because the husband fought back. So the husband was fighting with the intruders and in the 911 call, the wife said, you know, that my husband's out in the street fighting these guys, right? During the scuffle between the husband and the kidnapper, kidnappers, this person left their phone behind. Now, the Dublin police obviously do some digging and they find out that the phone belonged to a guy called Matthew Muller. Matthew Muller had served in the Marines and then when he came out of the Marines, he went to Harvard Law School. So he was like pretty smart guy or hardworking guy. I don't know what you would call it. Harvard, I feel like, yeah, that's pretty, I mean, pretty good to get into. Mm. So police then located Matthew Muller at his home in South Lake Tahoe. Um, police officer Misty Caruso, who is the, like the hero in this, I would say she was, yeah, yeah, so she was one day away from becoming a detective and her superior this, you know, day before she was a detective asked her to assist that they were going to go to this guy's home to suss out, you know, whether he was the guy that did this home invasion. So she goes down to uh, South Lake Tahoe. Um, they search the house and in this house they find heaps of stun guns, ski masks, heaps of laptops and phones. Um, they find out that Matthew Muller was driving a stolen car. They found zip ties, you know, blacked out swim goggles, fake guns, like all of this evidence to suggest he was doing these home invasions, right? And Lockie, something, I don't know if you saw, this is the what the F is this? Because I want to talk to you about this. Did hmm. you see that blow-up dummy that was found in yes, the car? Yes, in the trunk what? of the car. Disgusting. What was that? What know. is that? Like, what was he using that for? It was this weird-looking blow-up dummy doll. Oh, my. It is so <laughs> creepy. And can I tell you, I have been trying to find photos, so I'm dying to post them on our Insta, so I will keep searching. It's really hard to find, like, a lot of the photos on this case. I'm not going to lie, but don't worry. I've, I'm going to find them. So. <laughs> I want to show everyone how creepy this doll looks. So during the search of the home, Misty Caruso also finds some duct tape with a blonde hair stuck to it. And she couldn't shake this because she knew that the home invasion that she knew of, there was no blonde hair. Like the victims had brown hair, black hair. And she's just like, what the hell? Like, does this mean that he's done it more than what they're aware of? And she's determined to figure out who the blonde hair belongs to, you know, what's the extent of the crimes that Matthew Muller has has done. Like she just, she can't let it go, you know. Because yeah, she knows there's other victims and she's like, is this girl alive? Did mm. he kill her? Like, she, yeah, she's obsessed with figuring out who this blonde hair belongs to. During her investigation, Misty finds out that Matthew Muller was actually the person of interest in lots of other home invasions around California, but they never had any evidence to actually charge him. And through her digging, she also finds that, like, they find the owner of the stolen car that he was driving. And this 
guy says that um, his car was actually stolen the night that that whole hoax home invasion happened, like on Mare Island. And he also mentions that there's a Mare Island creeper that yes. would walk around Mare Island with a ladder. Mm. I'm not even kidding. He'd walk around. That's how, like, brazen he was. I don't even know if that's the right word. But you know what I mean? Like, he did not give a shit. He'd walk around with his ladder and peek into college girls' homes. Yeah. Disgusting. Yes. So, Misty's trying to get into contact with Vallejo PD because she's like, I actually think we've got the guy that did this whole thing that you think is a hoax. She can't get in contact with them. Like, no one's answering her phone calls. She finally gets in contact with someone at Vallejo PD. They say to her, you need to speak to the FBI, like not our problem. She finally speaks to the FBI and like I just feel like she was really struggling to even speak to anyone about it. Yeah, no one would return her calls. She was trying them like I think she says for weeks. Yeah. Yeah. So all of the details of – Matthew Muller and his previous crimes match the details of Denise's accounts and the home as well matches all of Denise's accounts of where she was held. And there is so much evidence that this guy was responsible for what happened to Denise and Aaron, I suppose. Mm -hmm. After this, Doug and Dan, both Aaron and Denise's attorneys, hold a press conference and they are completely like pummeling the Valero Police Department, right? They are just like going for the jugular, right? Just telling Good. the media like they completely fucked this up. Matthew Muller is charged with Denise's kidnapping for ransom. He's not charged with the sexual assault. So obviously because they didn't get the evidence, they only had the evidence of the kidnapping. But Denise and Aaron are still so sure that there was more than one person there. What do you think, Lockie? Well, I believe them. I believe that there is another person. And I think, like, he won't give that up. Like, I don't think Matthew yeah. Muller will give that up. But there's not – like, they don't really have anything else to go with to catch the other people. I, I believe – I honestly believe them as well because they – I haven't read their book, but there is a book that they've written. And in it, they have read that they've discussed like how there is no possible way it could have been just one person. Mm. Even like, you know, one person was guiding, do you know what I mean, one of them to the cupboard while something else was going on in the house. So they are 100% sure there is more than – well, it's more than Matthew that was involved in this kidnapping. Yep. So after the police uh, – the press conference, sorry, that the attorneys held, the police write a letter to Denise and Aaron and they in this letter they say things like it cl- it's clear it wasn't a hoax, that the press conference they held was harsh. However, they don't actually directly apologise. Like they don't actually say I'm – like we're sorry for what happened and they never publicly apologise. Like they only ever write this letter to them. Um, six years later – so, you know, 2021 or whatever, there's a new police chief running Vallejo PD and he actually does give a public apology to Denise and Aaron for the way the police department ran this six years ago. He obviously wasn't involved, but he feels the need to apologise on behalf of the police department to Denise and Aaron. Denise and Aaron sue the city of Vallejo for what happened to them. And they receive a settlement of $2.5 million, which I don't personally think is enough, but I think, like, they obviously just wanted it to be over. And $2.5 million, you know, is enough to set their lives up, etc. 
Now, this is probably the most frustrating part of this case. Detective Matt Mustard was named Officer of the Year in 2015, so the year of this happening. How? How the F did this happen? Disgusting, right? And not only that, Lockie, but by the end of by the year by the end of that year, they knew that this was not a hoax. Yeah, the way he treated those victims, and he still got this off. Like it just shows me there is something very wrong with this whole setup. Mm-hmm. So Matt Muller is serving both a thirty-year and a forty-year sentence concurrently, so seventy years in total. Uh, it's likely he won't get out, um, but. This story does have a bit of a happy ending. So since the whole ordeal, Denise and Aaron have gotten married. Um, Doug, the attorney, was actually the officiant at their wedding. Hmm. And they, like, invited, you know, Detective Misty Caruso. Like, they shared their day with, you know, those people. They've since had two girls. Um, Their first daughter was actually born five years to the day that Denise was released from the I kidnapper. I could not believe that. Crazy, I right? I couldn't believe that, yeah. So they both have moved on. They're focused on raising their children. They have actually written a book, uh, like you mentioned previously, it's called Victim F, um, which I haven't read it, but I think I'm definitely going to add it to my list. They obviously speak on the Netflix documentary American Nightmare. They've done various TV interviews podcasts like they're pretty open about talking to about what's happened to them um and like really strong like I'm actually so happy they're still together same same with me and I just have to say Denise is amazing for her to have gone through all this stuff and still come out like I don't know how to explain her I I just I just feel for her, but at the same time, I think she's like she's so strong. If that makes sense, it's yeah. Just, yeah, yeah. So that that's the whole story. It obviously does have a a kind of happy ending. I I feel. I feel like you know they've stuck together and you know they're focused on raising their children. And I think, like I mentioned to you last week, like imagine how on edge they're going to be raising two girls. Like after everything that's happened to Denise, like I think in the documentary as well, she talks about how she was also sexually assaulted as a teenager. Yeah, you think at a party, yeah, like it's happened to her multiple times. Like how? Three like times. what the hell? You know what? Something, and uh, you know, most people, a few people that have watched this have actually said to me, they're like, they don't understand what was like Matt Mueller, whatever his name is, Matthew Mueller's end game. Yeah, like what was the point of this? I think that's what a lot of people have questions like. What the heck is this guy doing? And I personally think it was sexually motivated. And I think we did speak about this, maybe, probably not even um, on the pod. I think we spoke about it on Friday. Um, but, yeah, I do think it was a sexually motivated crime. I don't think it was anything to do with money because he ended up letting her go and he didn't even get any of the money. But then I think as well in the emails the people say, because, you know, I think it's clear that it was more than one person. They say that they, like, started out, like, breaking into cars and stuff and the operation had escalated to this and Matthew Muller like I said he was a lawyer but he was actually recently like barred from the California yeah yeah, because he like I don't know kept money from someone or something so maybe it might only have been eight and a half 
thousand. Like we don't know. Like, nah, he- but can I say something? He's gone to that. They've gone to that much effort. Yeah, they say like, all right, we were going to start small. Like, I think in the in their like, I don't know when they were telling Denise and Aaron that they're like, all right, this is you're like a trial. So then when we do it to someone else that's got a lot more money, you know what I mean? Like you're like our trial run through, if that makes sense. But Lockie, he didn't do it again. They released her with no money. Usually if this was like a hostage situation, they would wait until they get some sort of money before they release the freaking hostage. He didn't do it again, but he did rape again. I honestly think it's sexually motivated. Mm. And whether he saw her going into Aaron's, is like, I have to have her. And he obviously spent him and his little gang spent time planning this there is no way this was like a one week like it took him a week to plan Aaron actually says that he's pretty sure that well they know that they had been in his house before this evening like before the abduction they had been in there because they had said stuff like take her to the computer room or whatever it was Mm. and they knew exactly where that was so they had spent time in his freaking house before this went down yeah and I also can't like I can't really understand like the, how they were looking for Andrea. Like I don't, I don't really get that. So there's like a few, why. So on, so on Real Crime Profile, they actually go into this in a bit of detail because Jim and Laura both think that Denise was definitely the target. But there's, I guess, there's two sort of theories. One is whether they saw, for instance, because remember Andrea. Why can I never say the same Andrea? Andrea. Andrea. Andrea used to live at the house with Aaron. Obviously, they're engaged. Do you know what I mean? That was her home. So whether they checked the mail and mail to her had gone there and that's where they've gotten, like, the name Andrea and then they've seen the blonde girl and just thought, like, her name is Andrea. So that's one of the things. And another thing which Jim says as well is potentially they're trying to make her feel more comfortable like this isn't for me then she'll go along with it more because it's not for her it's not intended for her if that makes sense yeah it's like a psychological thing like we're gonna take you but we're not really after you but we like you said we're just gonna take you as sort of like to hold on to you so we can get some money because we've accidentally got the wrong person but don't yeah. worry we're not gonna hurt you you know like i don't know like to ease her fears. I think it's all psychological games, honestly. Yeah, and I do yeah. think she was the target, and I do think the target was sexually motivated. Yeah, yeah, yep. Yeah. Crazy. Yes, that's our case. That is the case. So if you have a case you want us to cover, you can send us a message on Instagram. Our Instagram handle is at Capping Crime and Canines, or you can head to our website and leave a request in the request box. If you want to support the podcast, you can leave us a five-star review, head to our website to purchase some merch, or you can buy us a coffee at buymeacoffee.com forward slash caffeine crime and canines. And until next week. Until next week. Bye.